Hey, everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention Mike Wagner Show, get 20% off your first project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give an official shout-out to our official sponsor of the Mike Wagner Show, international warring author Mia Molsonzia. If you love fast-paced mysteries, you'll love Missing by Mia Molsonzia, available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. Missing is fast-paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. Takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is an illusion and those you love will be the first to go missing. It's available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molson has garnered great reviews and even love and endorsed by Howard celebrities, including Joanna Cassie, Forge Riley, and many others. So grab your copy today at Four Girls Missing by Mia Molson Zia, available on Amazon. Also, check out the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com on over 30 podcast platforms, including Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Also, Anchor FM, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Audible, Apple, Podbean, and Apple Music, and more. Take the Mike Wagner Show with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to the Mike Wagner Show on the YouTube channel. Follow the Mike Wagner Show on Instagram and Twitter today. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Wagner Show podcast. T-shirts, pop sockets, throw pillows, tote bags makes great gifts 24-7. Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Wagner Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash Mia Mosenzia. For great books like Missing, Once and Wrinkles, also t-shirts, pop sockets, phone cases, hoodies, and a lot of great merchandise. Amazon.com slash Mia Molson Zia. Check it out today. Also support the Mike Widener Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and the MikeWidenerShow.com. Make sure you give generously today. We're here with a terrific gentleman who is a psychotherapist, international activist, and a recognized uh, educator and award-winning writer and expert on Vietnam uh, veterans, survivors, activists and pilgrims we'll be talking about that he's dedicated 40 years of his life to helping veterans heal from their experiences of war and also an expert on ptsd and moral injury we'll talk more about that he's also trained staff taught and worked with wounded warriors and uh, department of defense and va facilities um in the uh, universities colleges hospitals health care and um community centers uh, all all across um, the nation and globally as well overseas and uh, he's also got a book called uh, coming home in vietnam his first major uh, poetry collection he also has some other books called uh, warriors return war on the soul and the practice of dream healing we'll talk about those live ladies and gentlemen from the plus studio somewhere in beautiful um outside of amherst massachusetts somewhere in new england ladies and gentlemen the very multi-talented ed Author of Coming Home in Vietnam, Dr. Edward Tick. Dr. Edward, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning, afternoon, evening, and happy new year, Mike. And thank you very much for having me and for your generous introduction. Well, it's great to have you on board as well, too. I mean, you've got an amazing uh, story to tell that you're a psychotherapist, international activist, and also recognized uh, educator and award-winning uh, writer, expert on Vietnam, um, veterans, survivors, um, activists, and also pilgrims as well. And you dedicated 40 years of your life to helping veterans heal from their um, their experience of war and expert on PTSD and moral injury. You also trained staff, um, taught and worked with wounded um 
you know, warriors and veterans at Department of Defense, VA facilities um, around the nation and overseas. And you also got a book called Coming Home in Vietnam, which is a book of poetry. And before getting to all that, Dr. Ed, tell us how you actually first got started. Well, I first got started writing poetry when I was a kid. Mm. So um, uh, I actually remember a couple of poems I read, I wrote in sixth grade. I won't recite them because they're really sixth grade poems. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot my sixth grade poems, not, not even the fifth or fourth grade. <laughs> <laughs> but I really remember a couple. And um, so I fell in love with poetry and literature when I was young. And by the time I was 15, I was writing it seriously, reading it seriously, and determined that no matter what else I would do in life, I was going to write poetry and prose and kind of write my way through life. And so uh, writing, as you know, I'm a poet and a nonfiction writer. Writing has been one of my most important tools for exploring uh, the, the work that unfolds in my profession, for sharing it and expressing it to others. Also, honestly, for cleansing myself. Because uh, as you shared, I have been working with war and violent trauma survivors for over 40 years. That stuff penetrates our minds and hearts and souls when we're exposed to it. Not as strongly as it does if we're on the front lines, of course. But the stories we hear and the images we hear really get in there and they get frozen inside us unless we have a way of expressing them and sharing them and cleaning them out. So po writing poetry and prose also helps me do that. So I've been writing my whole life and I didn't know I would write about this. The other half of your question is how did I begin working with veterans and why? And uh, we could spend the whole hour on that, but I will condense the story. Uh, I'm 70 years old. I know I don't look it, but it's true. I turned- You, you look great for 70, by the way, so. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, pour it on, my friend. <laughs> uh, um, so thank you for that. Um, I actually feel great for 70, um, but it's also, uh, the work really, uh, it is true that we are as young as we feel and that the more we stay young, vital, active with work that's really meaningful, that keeps our energy and our spirits alive. And so that really helps me keep going. And now I, I continue to work with veterans as much as I did before, but my generation of the Vietnam generation is getting older and uh, and they've mellowed out or they've healed or they've given up. So I work quite extensively now with veterans of our sandbox wars, Iraq and Afghanistan veterans and Bosnian veterans and veterans of uh, our secret operations. So I'm still doing the work. It's quite as relevant or even as now as it was for the Vietnam generation. Unfortunately, the wars don't stop. We pass them on to the next generation. But how I got started was I was, uh, well, I honestly, and uh, I share this with veterans, I don't hide any of my history. Veterans know when we're telling the truth mm. or when we're trying to hide something, they really have what they call, a, I'm not supposed to say this on the radio, uh, a BS meter. <laughs> they really do. So they know, they can feel if the person that they're with is of integrity and being honest with them. Uh, or playing the game or just you know doing the professional job uh, so and so I use my history and I share it with them when they want to know uh, and this also becomes a healing force so I love our warriors I've dedicated my life to helping them 
and I was against the Vietnam War and I was protesting it at the time. Mm. Uh, I went to college in 1968, the height of the war. The very first year uh, was I had a, what, a student deferment. When people went to college during the Vietnam War, we had a draft uh, that's been gone since that war. So people don't even know this history. But those in college had a deferment from the draft until they graduated. I had a deferment for the first year. And then because of the politics of, this, of the time, mostly minorities and the poor were being sent to Vietnam and dying in much higher numbers. And so there was so much protest against that as an unfair system that the, the, lottery, uh, the deferments were done away with. And then the government instituted a lottery system, which was we pull birthdays out of a hat and whatever mm -hmm. number you get, that's when you're in line to go to, into the military, into Vietnam. Wow. As it turned out, uh, I got a high number. Ooh. I was protesting the war. I was deeply concerned about what I would do. I was uh, applying for a conscientious objector, which means I would give alternative service instead of going into the military. And I had decided if I have to go to Vietnam, the only way I could go would be as a medic mm. to try to help, help and heal instead of take life. And it's in my family, my godfather, my mother's only siblings. So my uncle and godfather was a medic at the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. And he came home uh, a holy wreck, really. He had, they didn't have PT, they didn't have the diagnosis PTSD at the time. Uh, but he had a very severe case of what they would call shell shock in World War I. Mm. He was terrified and nervous and shaking his whole life to talking like this so he's my godfather uh-huh so that got planted in me then it came time for vietnam i didn't believe in the war but i love our troops and i believe in service in fact i believe in universal service that we all have to somehow give back to the country and then i got a high lottery number and didn't have to serve mm. okay so i kept <laughs> protesting the war during college. And fast forward, 1975 is the year the war ended and the year I finished my master's degree in psychology and began as a psychotherapist in a rural town in central New York state. And Vietnam veterans started to come into my practice. What do you know? Huh? Post-traumatic stress disorder was not even a recognized diagnosis until 1980. Mm -hmm. It was not even a name for the invisible wound that they had. And at the time, nobody knew how to treat them. There was no literature on the subject. Friends and colleagues said, don't. They're too dangerous and they're crazy and they might go off on you and you're going to get hurt. You don't know what you're doing. Nobody knows what you're doing with them. And I thought, are you crazy? Are you crazy? They were our, they're our country's warriors. Even if the war was wrong, they're our warriors and they need to be brought home carefully in the right way. And nobody's doing this. And I didn't have to serve. Now I can. This can be my alternative service. And I couldn't be a medic in the war. And God saved me from that. Thank you. <laughs> I can work to be the best home front doc I can possibly be and tend their war wounds, um, their invisible psychological wounds at home in this way. So that's how it began. That was back in the mid 1970s, 76, 77, when I began this. 
PTSD was not a diagnosis until 1980. By then I had been working with them for four or five years and had lots of experience and was working with not only individually with veterans, but also with the uh, with Vietnam Veterans of America and the uh, the veteran the volunteer veteran groups in my region, helping and supporting them, teaching them about war wounding. We created uh, crisis intervention teams for veterans who had you know have flashbacks and meltdowns and were in danger of doing violence to intervene before they hurt themselves or anybody, and that that was my start. Hmm. That was rather interesting. And um, what was this all groundbreaking to you when it came to like, you know, starting these um, intervention counseling and everything like that? Was this like a groundbreaking or were you like, you know, following some kind of model in terms of trying to um, to help these veterans? It sounds like you had a really unique uh, plan you had that no one else was able to duplicate. uh, You're right. I had a unique plan for several reasons. And Thank you for that question. I'm actually still doing groundbreaking work, which will bring us to my new book, Coming Home in Vietnam. So one of the forms of groundbreaking work I've done is that for the last 20 years, I've been leading healing and reconciliation journeys to Vietnam for our veterans, for uh, their spouses, for their widows, for their children, uh, other family members, uh, and for, for veterans of more recent wars who want to who want the experience of being in reconciliation with a former foe of our country. They want to know how it works. They can't go to Iraq or Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So uh, they've, they've come to Vietnam. So we mm-hmm. can talk about that in a while. But back, uh, winding the tape back a little bit, when I began this work, really, there was almost no literature on what we now understand as post-traumatic stress disorder in the psychological literature. Uh, during World War II, we had the diagnosis of combat fatigue and during World War I, shell shock, but there was nothing since then. However, now that I've become the expert and done this worldwide research, by now we know that there were more than 80 different names throughout world history that their times and their cultures call, uh, call something different, but it was what we would call post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. It's in the Bible, both the Old and the New Testaments. It's in ancient Greek literature, ancient Roman literature and mythology. The uh, traditional cultures of the world knew about it. Native American cultures knew about it. Uh, the Lakota people, the Sioux called it Nahinapeapi in their language, which, huh. which doesn't mean post-traumatic stress disorder, it means the spirits left the warrior. The warrior is empty of spirit. And so in their tradition, their medicine people's job was to restore the warrior's spirit after return through their own ceremonies and rituals. I've studied with our Native Americans for uh, over 30 years also. And I've been through their ceremonies and trained in them. So I know how to use those as well with their blessing and permission only, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had no way for bringing our warriors home. Mm-hmm. I tried for, so the seventies until about, uh, for about eight or 10 years, I tried the best traditional psychotherapy I possibly could give. And I began writing about the issue in, uh, in, in the newspapers and popular media and also the professional literature. And after 10 years, I, I said, 
this isn't this isn't enough. It's not going to work. War is so horrible. The military experience transforms people so utterly. The civilian identity and personality and behavior and values are really taken apart. And even if you don't go to war, you become a different person in the military. So we have very complex, extensive ways for training people to be a military person and for preparing them to go to war. War is so much more horrible. You know, uh, um, so, 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 so much more horrible than anybody imagines and nobody can be prepared well enough for it. People change entirely through the experience and then they come home and in our country, well, you either go to the VA if you're broken down or there's nothing else. You have your quick re re uh, release from the military and people really want to go home. So they're given questionnaires. Do you have any of these PTSD symptoms? Almost everybody checks no, 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 because they want to get out and they want to go home. Because if they check yes, they'll be kept and retained uh, and maybe put into a medical unit and they don't want that. Oh my but gosh. besides that, there's no what some of us in this field are calling reverse boot camps. Mm. We take teach people how to go to war and be a good military, sorry, military member. Then we don't bring them home. And this is really wrong. And it's a national injury and uh, I would even say a sin against everybody who served because we do know that the military changes people and war utterly changes people. And around the world, from ancient times to the present, other cultures of other times and places have had profound and wise ways for bringing their warriors home. Even the Bible, listen to this, even the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 20 for any of our serious people and religion. You don't have to be a religious person to study this, but chapter 20 in Deuteronomy is like a Geneva convention of warfare. What huh. you're allowed to do and what you should never do or have your warriors do ever or else it's going to hurt them and hurt the other side mm -hmm. in unfair ways. So there were wars, uh, rules against inhumane behavior in war that of course nobody's ever followed but we've had them for thousands of years also in the bible for example and i use this one moses ordered all israel uh, ancient israeli troops who were away and every single battle when they came back they had to spend a full ye a week outside of their village in a separate camp with their priests and priestesses going through ritual for forgiveness and purification ceremonies. And they had to purify themselves and their weapons and everything they were carrying, or they couldn't go home because they would be bringing the war home. It had mm. to be taken out of them. So traditional cultures and ancient cultures knew and understood this. And there are really worldwide extensive rituals for taking the war out of people. I've been studying and practicing them my, uh, all these 40 years. I work with the Native Americans. I travel to Vietnam where, oh my gosh, post-traumatic stress disorder and moral injury are epidemic in our country, even though the war was over there, even though we killed and injured so many more people than we lost. There's no long-term chronic wartime PTSD in Vietnam. 
There isn't, it doesn't exist there, except in very, very rare, severe cases in psychiatric hospitals, very few. Uh, they're okay, they're happy. Their country oh. is still damaged from the war, but the people aren't. And they're oh. completely welcoming, accepting, loving of us and forgiving of Americans. How did they do this? We need to know how they did it. They need help with physical recovery. So we do that. Hmm. And that helps heal Americans' moral injury. And they need help rebuilding their infrastructure and healing their environment and help with their ancient orange victims. So we give them that and they give us welcome and forgiveness and healing uh, and love and mm. everybody benefits. Mm. It, it sounds like what, um, what, what we did with uh, Japan after um, Japan dropped uh, a couple of bombs on us, especially Pearl Harbor, then we turned around and um, dropped a couple of bombs on Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki. And it's saying, you know, Jap Japanese, um, the Japanese weren't angry after a while. It's like they were forgiving and we came over and helped them. That's what it almost sounded like. Uh, it's that's similar. That's a good point. Um, similar after World War II, also with our Marshall Plan. Uh, the, actually, the world still loves us for rebuilding it after World War II. And we won't let's not comment on modern politics, but we're losing. some. <laughs> we are losing some of that goodwill. And my friends and colleagues in Europe are warning us about that. Mm. We still love you. You saved us after World War II. After war, if we become friends and rebuild and help each other heal, then it doesn't go on and on and on forever. And we can stop it. So um, Americans and Germans, Americans and Japanese have significantly reconciled since the end of World War II. It took them a long time, but now even some of their groups of elderly veterans sometimes get together at Pearl Harbor or mm -hmm. in Europe on the battlefields of Europe. And it's so beautiful when these 80 and 90 year old men hug each other and forgive each other and, <laughs> and laugh at, uh, and in Vietnam, they say this, we do the same and we same thing. Ha ha, it's a good thing you were such a bad shot so we could live to this distant day to forgive each other and become friends. That's what happens in Vietnam also. Hmm, that's rather interesting. I can imagine one of them saying, yeah, you almost missed me, but I almost missed you back. That's what it sounded like. You can just uh, live the talk about it. It's like, hey, that time um, you try to shoot it, bounce off here or something like that. But um, I, I was just thinking about this too. You talked about the lines like with um, working with the uh, Vietnam veterans and everything else. And um, what's, it, what's it like working free, like say with um, the, um, the ones that were in the, uh, the Gulf War and also in uh, Afghanistan and the other wars? What was, was a challenge just as great as... Uh, trying to help the Vietnam veterans? Was it just the same or was it less or was it worse? It's, uh, thank you, it's a wonderful question and our veterans need the public to know answers to these matters. So it's complex for a lot of reasons, right? There's no draft. Mm -hmm. So everybody who's gone to Iraq or Afghanistan or in the Gulf War or Bosnia uh, and those wars or in our secret operations now, uh, they all volunteered to go into the military, but they weren't necessarily for patriotic reasons and they weren't, it wasn't necessarily to serve in these wars. Some did for sure. After 9-11, we had a flood of enlistees who were volunteering to protect our country and they really were frightened of an invasion. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the Marines I worked with who was actually, who was a neighbor, he's, he was the first person to enlist in the Marine Corps the night of 
He stood wow. in front of the Marine recruiting office all night. He's from Connecticut because mm -hmm. he wanted to be first because he was so upset. But bless him, he was sure that the terrorists were going to be paratrooping, parachuting onto his house in rural Connecticut and attacking his family that night. Oh, my gosh. That's what 9-11 meant to some of our people and how frightened they were. So some people sign up for patriotic reasons to protect the country. A lot of people... And we, we need to know this too. Lots of people sign up for the military because there are no jobs, because they come from rural environments and there's no way to, other way to get out, because they come from the inner cities and they've already survived a lot of violence in the streets and there's no other way to get out because they want to go to college and they can't afford it because college has become insanely expensive and oh the military gosh. will do benefits. Uh, and to get out of abusive homes and family relationships. Hmm. Um, I work with, and my wife is also a therapist who specializes in working with women veterans. We've both worked with so many women veterans who said, I joined the military to get away from uh, uh, my rapist abuser husband. Who, who was <laughs> oh, I heard about that. Yes. Sex. I, mean, I thought I would be safer in the military, even if they sent me to war, than you know, in Harlem or in an abusive family. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of reasons. That's one of what that makes it really difficult. Mm. Secondly, the public is wrong when they tell people, well, you signed up. So you knew what you were getting into. Nobody knows what they're getting into when they go to war. Nobody. The public needs to be incredibly more compassionate to what war does to people. They mm -hmm. really need help coming home. Mm -hmm. All right. Another reason it's different and harder is because not all, but very, very many have um, served multiple tours. So I oh, work, yes, right? So I work with people who have been on two, three, four, five tours to Bosnia, then Iraq, then Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is very interesting. Um, I won't answer it, but one of the main military chaplains that I've worked with over the years just signaled me while we're talking about, <laughs> uh, he about, must be, he, about he, the help, the ongoing help that they need right now for the young vets. Oh, wow. okay. He, he must be listening in. That's good. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'll make sure he gets a copy of this, my friend. So, so, sounds so good. Multiple tours. Multiple tours are horrible. And huh, our special forces, people don't know this either. They can be sent on as many multiple tours as the government wants to send them to. I've worked with people who've been on more than a dozen overseas tours who don't get any rest time in between the tours. Wow. Special forces, you're supposed to be able to handle it. You're a sniper. We need you here. We need you there. We need you there. We're sending you to Africa, then to Bosnia, then to Afghanistan, then to back to Iraq, then to Afghanistan again. I worked with a sniper who served 16 deployments. Oh my gosh. Sounds with like a only record. a few weeks in between. You can't imagine poor guy how, as the, they say, how jacked up he was and how he could not calm down. So these are incredibly challenging people to help and help them bring home. Mm -hmm. With all that said, the, everybody needs to know this too. They wanted to serve, even if they didn't like where they were serving or what they had to do. And 
even if they end up not believing in the war or having moral injury or feeling like they did something that they wish they hadn't done and it was wrong, they still really love our country and it does not break their loyalty to this country. Um, and they end up saying like the Vietnamese, I don't have any quarrel with the people I had to fight. They were defending their homes and their families. I don't have any quarrel with the other warriors I had to fight with. The only people I have a quarrel with is our government if I think they did something wrong sending me or the way they've brought me back and not brought me back and given me the real help that I need. Mm -hmm. So that's a long answer. <laughs> it is. And most, oh, most Vietnam veterans, there are a few multiple tour Vietnam vets. So I've worked with some who had two tours, a couple who had three, but not who had five or six or eight or 10. Wow. No, that didn't happen in Vietnam. Mm, Even goodness. lifers who were signed up for life never had more than a couple of tours over there. That is something too. And you also took all this. You also put him into uh, books as well. I love all your stories. And they're also in the books as well. We'll talk about your books as well too. Warriors Return, War in the Soul, The Practice of a Dream Healer, and also um, your latest book, Coming Home um, in Vietnam. But first, listen to the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. It's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention the Mike Widener Show. Get 20% off your first product. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give official shout-out to our official sponsor, The Mike Widener Show, international warring author, Mia Molson-Zia. If you love fast-paced mysteries, you'll love Missing by Mia Molson-Zia, available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. Missing is fast-paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. Takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molson-Z has garnered great reviews and evil evident endorsed by Howard celebrities, including Joanna Cassie, Forge Riley, and many others. So grab your copy today for Goals Missing by Mia molson -Zia, available on Amazon. Also check out the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com on over 30 podcast platforms. Take us with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to the Mike Widener Show on the YouTube channel. Follow the Mike Widener Show on Instagram and Twitter today. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Widener Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash Mia Molson Zia for great merchandise, books, and more. Amazon.com slash Mia Molson Zia. Also support the Mike Widener Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and the Mike Widener Show.com. Make sure you give generously today. We're here with a psychotherapist, international activist, and recognized educator and award-winning um writer and expert in Vietnam veterans, uh, survivor activists, and also pilgrims, um, Dr. Edward Tick on the Mike Widener Show. And uh, he's got a new book called Coming Home in Vietnam, the first major uh, poetry collection. He's also got uh, Warrior's Return, War on the Soul, and the Practice of Dream Healing. And uh, let's talk about your um, previous three before we get to talk about your new book. They sound amazing. Okay, well, thank you. Um, I'll skip dream healing for a minute. <laughs> um, so uh, as we shared, I have been working with our military and veterans for over 40 years, and I've done extraordinary amounts of, well, travel overseas, travel all over this country, um, 
pilgrimage of my own to really, really understand with my whole mind, heart, and soul uh, the, the issues that our warriors face and how, how to uh, work on them and heal them. And also studying uh, the literature of war from all times and places I possibly could for all of these 40 years. Mm -hmm. So with all, and as you pointed out, looking for um, innovative and holistic practices that really uh, help our warriors and can successfully bring them home. So with all that, um, I've written lots of uh, professional and um, popular public articles about this stuff as well. And so finally, in, I'm skipping a dream healing book. Um, in 2005, my book War, War and the Soul came out. War and the Soul is and Warrior's Return was a follow-up in 2014. So I kept doing the same, the research and expanding the practices. So the two together pre pre uh, present a fully holistic understanding of post-traumatic stress disorder and moral injury, not only our modern psychological understanding, which mostly uh, attributes um, the, the injuries to what's being called broken brain, to brain chemistry. And there's very much, there are many techniques now that do help uh, repair the brain and the way it was damaged from trauma. So that's going on and a lot of people are doing that work. So I didn't specialize in that. I specialize in the emotional, cultural, psychological, and spiritual dimensions of the invisible wounds. And I've been researching and traveling all over the world to understand how other cultures around the world today and of other times and places respond to their warriors and to war wounds and putting together a full comprehensive um, model for how we can heal it. So War in the Soul and Warriors Return both present that. And humbly I say, that Warn the Soul is like my Iliad. What is the inner world of the combat survivor like? Mm -hmm. And then I, I use, not I, I refer to poetry and the literature of the world uh, about war, not just uh, psychological dimensions. And you're right, I tell lots and lots and lots of stories. Really, I learned this with our warriors first. Reading is second. Um, so there are lots of stories from the warriors and demonstrations from all over the world about the what, what is the inner world of a combat survivor really like? And if we really understand that, what do we have to do to really bring them home success and heal successfully? And how have other cultures and times and places have done it? And Warriors uh, Return is a follow-up, focusing even more extensively on the worldwide practices for bringing warriors home and how we can use them here in America, in our modern times with our own you know, worldview and values. So um, some people will go on vision quests and climb mountains. Uh, one of my women Afghanistan veterans literally last week just came down from climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Oh my goodness, wow. And and she did that as a healing pilgrimage. And she reports that she literally prayed every step of the way up the mountain. And as she was going halfway up the mountain, she finally said to herself, oh, there are things that are harder than combat. And I'm doing one right now. And if I can get through combat and I can get to the top of this mountain, then I can come home because I'm going up there to talk to God. 
And when I get up there, I'll be as close to God as a human being can get. And I'll have conquered my own fears and weaknesses. And I believe that I can receive a blessing and come home. And wow. she did it. And she's a, she's a different person for having gone to war. She's also a different person for having climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And I wish everybody could see the strength and the energy and the pride uh, uh, in this woman now. Mm. So that's just one example. Um, I could give many, many more. I've, I've been trained and initiated with Native American elders. And so I do know how they use and I've guided people uh, while on reservations in their communities. Um, so we've guided our warriors, Native warriors and non-Native warriors in their uh, sweat lodges and vision quests and their talking circles and other native practices. Um, going to Vietnam with my new book, uh, Warriors Return and War in the Soul are prose, nonfiction, really explaining this material. And Warriors uh, War in the Soul did win several awards, the best book of the year in psychology from Forward Magazine and a few others. So it did get some significant, it had significant impact and the military, that's how the military found me and asked me to work with them uh, through my books. Wow. So they do use War and the Soul and Warriors Return in our chaplaincy schools and in their um, military healing facilities. And they mm. pass the books out because uh, they really do give guidance for how to come home and heal. Wow. A after those two books. So then one of my main practices has been leading healing and reconciliation journeys back to Vietnam, which I've been doing for 20 years. And I only stopped because of the pandemic because none of us could travel. And mm -hmm. I can't wait to start it again. Mm -hmm. So I've been to Vietnam 19 times in the last 20 years. And I've brought not only Vietnam veterans, but as I said, sandbox veterans, Iraq and Afghanistan and special operations veterans and family members and young people. Uh, and we work with the Vietnamese and work with their healing practices as well. Uh, so the, the Vietnamese are Buddhists. Uh, there's much more to Vietnam than that. But um, as I said, they have almost no PTSD or moral injury there. And so we study why we practice reconciliation with them. We get together with their groups. And I, I run reconciliation groups between our veterans and their veterans. And often people who fought against each other in the same battles are sitting in the same groups, laughing and crying together about it. Uh, I have them write poetry and the Vietnamese, uh, it's a very literate country. So they're already poets. Huh. And we translate the poems into both languages. And before you know it, the Americans are grabbing the Vietnamese veteran poems and saying, that's my story. I got to read it <laughs> in my language. And the Vietnamese veterans are doing the same thing. You wrote my poem. I'm going to read your poem in my language. Oh, my and, gosh. <laughs> and then they say, oh, my God. By the end, I'm going to tear up when I say this, Mike. By the end of these meetings, they say, these are quotes from them. We are not enemies. We are brothers and sisters who survived the same hell. That's one oh, quote. Oh, yes. Another quote. From now on and forevermore, Vietnamese and American veterans have to be the lips and the tongue of the same mouth telling the world the same story. Mm -hmm. I could go on like that, but these are examples of the extraordinary 
forgiveness and reconciliation that happens and where warriors of the world enter into a shared identity. Mm -hmm. We are warriors. We're all warriors. We all try to do right by our country, whether and whether we believed in it or not. At the time, we did what our country asked us to do. We showed up. We did the hardest things and we deserve honor and respect and support for it. And the Vietnamese give that to our warriors more than America has given it to the Viet to our Vietnam veterans. They that is interesting. Say, yeah, you couldn't come home in America. Well, please come home here. Mm -hmm. So there we are. Um, the practice of dream healing uh, is partially about war healing and the first chapter very much is. And I began taking pilgrimages and leading pilgrimages to Greece also to study the Greek warrior tradition and how did they help their warriors because they had so many wars in the past and ever since. So I studied that over there and, um, and I use the uh, Greek traditions and practices as well. And I've been in Greece twice on Veterans Day with groups of veterans practicing ancient Greek war healing traditions on Veterans Day for our warriors. And it's incredible. When we help our warriors learn that there is a worldwide warrior tradition, that it's been here forever. It's just not an American issue, though our wars and our politics are American, but not being a warrior and not warrior traditions. And we can learn these other traditions and we can carry them with honor and dignity. We can use them on you, our warriors, and you can come home and heal this way. And Scouts Honor, they do. Mm. They really do. And they become strong, healthy. They join society again. They become elder warriors who have very, very much to give back. Wow. Many of them become counselors and therapists themselves, specializing mm -hmm. in trauma treatment. What do you know? Uh -huh. Very many of them become first responders. Amazing. Oh. And I also work with first responders and teach that they're also warriors. They're doing on the front lines for us what warriors do. They run into danger to protect the rest of us. Mm -hmm. I, I was, I was going to say that, yes. Yeah, yeah. Blessedly, they are not sent in to take life. They're sent in to protect life. Sometimes our police force has to use deadly force, but it's for protection, not to, uh, not to conquer. So, right, and, yes. Mm -hmm. So very many for, uh, military veterans go into first responder work because it's the only thing they find that's continuous with their military service. Mm -hmm. and, and that's very true as well, too. And where can we find uh, Warriors Return, War in the Soul, and the uh, practice of dream healing at? They're all on Amazon. That's the easiest. You can go to the publisher, of course. They're on the publisher's websites. They're on my websites as well. Um, but the, the easiest thing, most people go to Amazon and get, get the discount. Um, okay. Honestly, uh, for the public, buying from Amazon does not hurt the writer because Amazon does sell more books. The discount comes because Amazon, uh, they eliminate the middlemen. So it actually hurts bookstores. Mm -hmm. and, and, and of course, you know that... Um... 
Well, of course, you know, we say about Amazon as well, too. And uh, we'll talk about uh, coming home in Vietnam. Talk more about it in just one minute with author Edward Tick. You listen to the Mike Wagner Show at the themikewagnershow.com. Powered by Sonicweb Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Also brought to you by our official sponsor, the Mike Wagner Show, international warring author Mia Molson-Zia Missing, available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. We'll be back with psychotherapist, international activist, and award-winning author Edward Tick of Coming Home in Vietnam after this timeout. We're back with author Edward Tick of Coming Home in Vietnam here on the Mike Wagner Show. Learned a lot from you, Dr. Ed, and of course your amazing stories about um healing coming together and everything and uh coming home in vietnam uh first major poetry collection maybe i i think we just cover like you know some of it and maybe just a a bit more to add as well too and why it's so important as well sure uh do we have time for a poem absolutely i love poems oh my gosh that's the first time everyone asked do you have a do you have time for poetry I always have time for poetry, and I love it when people ask me that. Sure, go ahead. Oh, bless you, Mike, and please have uh, do everything you can to have poets on and help uh, um, America, the American audience appreciate poetry again. Uh, I, th- I think I'm ready to get my slippers, get my robe, and get a pipe and uh, a little bit of cognac and ready to go. So here we go. Ah, perfect. <laughs> uh, okay, perfect. Well, I'll choose, I'll choose a shorter poem because our time is limited, but this will also illustrate some of the stories that happen during these healing journeys, the stories people will receive reading the book and how the healing, how the horror happens in the war and the healing happens on uh, by going back and coming home, all right? So this book, uh, poem is called Praying. The backstory is, uh, oh, I wrote a lot of these poems in first person so some of them are my experiences going back, but I also wrote first person as if I'm a Vietnamese person mm-hmm. telling my story or as if I'm an American veteran telling my story. So this is first person in the words of an American veteran. This man went over when he was 18. He literally turned 19 on the day of the battle that occurred in this poem. So he turned 19 in horrible combat. Wow. He survived the battle. He and his unit killed 300 enemies who were mounting a suicide charge against their unit. They dug a mass grave and pushed all the dead bodies into the grave. Mm -hmm. We went back to, he wanted to go back to Vietnam with me because he was, he did have PTSD and moral injury from this and other events. And he had nightmares about those bodies. And he heard in his nightmares, he heard the dead crying to him and screaming to him, return us, return us, we wanna go home. Wow. So he wanted to go back and find the mass grave and give it back to the Vietnamese people. And we did. All right, so this poem is called Praying. The first stanza is during the battle when he's 19. The second stanza is when we went back after we gave the grave back to the Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. Praying. So imagine a 19 year old just trying to survive in a horrible battle. Never in my life did I pray so hard as that day at the smoking bottom of this mountain among giant boulders and fallen trees when the enemy overran our wire 
and sprouted like berserk rice stalks, no farther away than the length of my rifle, and our muzzle holes became God's wrathful eyes. Wow. Never in my life did I pray so hard until today on the cloud-crowned top of this mountain. Among smiling statues and wafting incense, when their children took my, really, when their children took my hands and called me uncle, and their monks bowed to me as if I were a saint, and I embraced their dead as my true brothers, and God's loving eyes gazed through my torn and mending heart. Wow. After story. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Amazing. The after story. After he went back with me, we did find the grave, as you hear. We did return it to the Vietnamese. He was terrified the Vietnamese were going to throw him in prison. Oh, my. The villagers loved him. They hugged him. They brought their babies. He said, I'm not worthy to hold your children. And he said, yes, you are. You've returned our ancestors to us. You have to hug my baby and bless them for me, please. Wow. So we did. Then we went up to the top of the mountain where there was a Buddhist pagoda. And the Buddhist monks did treat him this way. And they did a ceremony where they blessed him and cleansed him of his sin. Uh, and, and they pray and, and they did the ceremony for the souls of all the dead from that day. Then we came home and this man who had been severe PTSD, his nightmares stopped. Oh, they went home. They went home. They're not wow. my brain anymore. After that, he went back to Vietnam on his own three times. He met a woman, fell in love, married her. Now he lives. Uh, your book is in several countries. Well, so is my book in several countries. <laughs> now this veteran lives both in Vietnam and America, supports this woman and her family back in Vietnam. They're both, they consider themselves Vietnamese American and their marriage and family is like a healing bridge between our two countries. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Wow. Oh my gosh. This is, so this is the book. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Coming yeah. home in Vietnam. That's right. And where can we find coming home in Vietnam at, Dr. Rad? It is it is on Amazon now. Just about two weeks on, but this is newly published. So it's on Amazon. Uh, you could also get it. My website is um, well, uh mentorthesoul.guide is my website. You can get it that way. I'm also continue to do char charity projects in Vietnam. People could help out with that if they want. Mm -hmm. uh, or or the, the, the publisher is Tia Chucha, T-I-A, C-H-U-C-H-A. So Tia Chucha Press, you can get it on their website as well. Okay. We'll certainly check that out. Once again, we're with uh, author Dr. Edward Tick of Coming Home in Vietnam here on the Mike Widener Show. You've been absolutely amazing, Dr. Edward. Very big thank you for your time. Love to have you back on. And what else can we expect from you in 2022 and beyond, Dr. Ed? 
Well, thank you. Um, I actually, I hope I'll see you again. I have another book coming out at the end of this year called The Future of Ancient Healing. Mm. In addition to working in Vietnam and leading pilgrimages there, I also work and lead pilgrimages to Greece and use the ancient Greek tradition as I shared about warriors, but not only about warriors. So that earlier book, The Practice of Dream Healing, is about the origin of psychology, psychiatry, and psychotherapy in ancient Greece, where it comes from, how we can use it today. And then I have a nonfiction book coming out at the end of this year called The Future of Ancient Healing, which is, again, my next book on using the ancient Greek tradition for our healing. We certainly will be looking forward to that, Dr. Red. And who do you consider the biggest influence in your career? My biggest influence? Yes, in your career. The warriors. The people who have done this, who have lived it, who welcomed me as a brother, initiated me into their world. It's, we do the writing to do everything we can to serve human life together. It's the warriors. It's to us together is what matter and what the books are about. So I could talk to you for hours about the influential books. Uh, uh, uh It's the people who have had the courage to walk this path and bring hope and healing to all of us. That is certainly amazing. A lot of help from friends really does help a lot. That's so amazing. And what's the best advice you can give to anybody at this point? Oh my gosh. Um, to our warriors, don't believe that you can't heal and come home. You can. Warriors of any any time of service, any war, you don't have to be at war, and your loved ones, your, your spouses, your children, your family members, there is healing and there is homecoming. And to all the civilians, they can't come home without us. It takes us all. Don't just turn them over to the VA and the professionals. Healing happens through spirituality in community. Mm-hmm. And that's very important as well, too. Once again, uh, author Dr. Edward Tick of Coming Home in Vietnam here on the Mike Widener Show. Dr. Ed, a very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely amazing. Looking forward to having you again soon. Make sure you keep us up to date, keep in touch. And um, okay. once again, tell us about your upcoming projects, what's your website, how do people contact you, where can people purchase or check out your books? Okay, all of my books are on Amazon or with the publisher. Uh, I have an author's web website, which is simply edwardtick.com, my name.com. Uh, for my practice, uh, the Overseas Journeys to Greece, my therapy work, all of my books and other writings, and your wonderful podcast will be on my website as soon as I get it. Thank you, Mike. Uh, that website is called mentorthesoul.guide. Mentorthesoul.guide. Mm -hmm. uh, want my phone number? Uh, <laughs> well, well, we can we can get that later too. Yeah, they're, they're they're also it's on the website. Okay, People can contact me through the website. Sounds good. Once again, Doctor Red, a very big thank you for your time. You've been totally amazing. Looking forward to having you again soon. Keep us up to date. Keep in touch. We look forward to having you back. We wish you all the best. You've got a great future ahead of you. Thank you so much, Mike. Bless you for all the good work you're doing.